Okay, welcome to the wandering, the newly named Wandering Berry Center podcast. I am your host, Brian, and on the other side is my brother, Alex. Hello. And this podcast is mostly just us uh, finding topics that we enjoy, uh, specifically not telling the other one about that topic until just before it's brought up. Yep. And we just discuss what, uh, what we want and hopefully entertain you. Yep, learn something along the way. Yeah, we'll have a couple uh, reoccurring segments um, in, I believe, episode four, or what will be. This is uh, technically episode five. Um, we did a health segment for a while there, and we'll uh, we'll mm-hmm. update that. And uh, yep. yeah, we'll see uh, we'll see where this goes. Pretty mm-hmm. pretty relaxed. Yeah, maybe some reoccurring things here and there, but overall, just bringing new topics to the table each week. Right. Hopefully, uh, like I said, hopefully entertain you and hopefully add something, right? Hopefully you learn something. Yeah, definitely. We learned something. I know. I was going to sure. say, if, if, if they don't learn something, then I'm still learning something along the way. <laughs> sure, sure. I certainly did in preparation for today. Yep, same. So, um, I suppose we can jump right into it. Um, definitely. I don't know if you have a preference. Uh, I picked a topic that's somewhat relevant to our recent name decision. So I don't know if you have qualms with me going first. Uh, absolutely not. I think that's appropriate since we okay. just revealed the big name. So the go big ahead. Name. We contemplated it for a long time, many weeks. Mm-hmm. And um, we agreed, uh, or we, we had started recording before we even had a name. So it's nice yeah. to finally. I think we said it would come naturally, but then we kind of forced it to happen naturally because it wasn't yeah, happening. It wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> But that's okay. Um, so yeah, my first topic, is, or I should say, the topic that I've I've gone with for this week is um, black holes, uh-huh. and specifically the attempt to photograph a black hole, and they're attempting this this year, 2018. Um, so a little backstory. Any pictures you might have ever seen of a black hole or any any representation you've ever seen of a black hole is more than likely a artist rendering or a very, like a very Photoshop rendering type thing or like a painting. Hand, How yeah, do I do uh, it? Either. Uh, yeah. Probably digitally at this point, but yeah. um, probably previously hand drawn, right? Hmm. Um, but nobody, uh, it's never, we don't have an actual picture of a black hole. Now, that's for a, a couple different reasons. One, the very nature of a black hole is that it's black. And against the, back, <laughs> against the background of space, you know, you really what you are taking a picture of is the sort of the stuff around a black hole that gives away the black hole's um, presence. Hmm. Because Such a, so, like... Bending light and stuff like that, or exactly Bending little people light. being sucked into it. <laughs> Bending light um, wrote uh, one of the big giveaways. If you can see it, is um, planets that are rotating a spot that you otherwise can't explain why they're just rotating around this spot. Uh, um, you know, toilet no bowl s- effect. Right, right. <laughs> um, so yeah, in 2018, they are going to attempt. I say they. I'm being you know, the scientific community is going to attempt to um, take a picture of a proper picture mm-hmm. of um, the black hole that's at the center of our galaxy, Sagittarius A. 
That's the name of the black hole? That is the name of the black hole. It is 26,000 light years away, which comparatively speaking is nothing uh, in the grander scale of space. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, The way they're going to do this is they're going to coordinate... Well, actually, let me start back up. So imaging, as I was researching this, we won't go into this level of depth, but basically imaging, the reason they haven't attempted this before is really up until... um, the big discovery of the gravitational waves in 2015, um, that discovery combined with recent advances in imaging Mm -hmm. really has only made right now the only viable time to attempt what I'm about to lay out. So that's why they haven't done it before. Okay. That was going to be my first question. We're really on the cutting edge. It's actually, it's really crazy cool. Um, So what they're going to do is they have these uh, special telescopes and they're going to basically use 15 to 20 of them across the planet and take all those telescopes are going to take photos of, of this one spot, obviously, mm-hmm. and not all at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to eventually composite the data together to get the most accurate image, which will technically be an image of radio frequencies uh, to... Uh, so, yeah, they're going to take all uh, use these radio telescopes you know, push the data together and hopefully right, come up right. with a, an image at the end. Um, what is the probability that this is successful? Well, there's, uh, no, not in the sense of, um, let's put it this way. Uh, single telescopes have taken what I'll just call in layman, you know, lesser photos of further away black holes and, and mm-hmm. even, even Sagittarius A. Um, but what they're really shooting for here is uh, a real picture of the event horizon around a black hole. So the event horizon, Some let's run through, I grabbed a couple facts for black holes that I thought yeah, were... Yeah, you're, you're going to need to explain. Yeah, so I don't <laughs> want to get too... Um, so basically the event horizon is the boundary between what you would consider normal space, like where you and I are, and sort of the other side of the black hole, which we have no idea what it looks like. So the Paradise, event, right? probably. Oh, maybe, hopefully. Trump's not there. That's <laughs> so um, better in some ways. Right. So <laughs> the event horizon is literally a, gravity, a gravitational barrier between what you might consider our world and whatever the hell is on the other side. We have no idea. Okay. That's... So bla- it's pretty wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so basically the the previous attempts to photograph black holes have never had a high enough resolution to really capture what effectively to us will look like a ring of light around the black hole. That's what it will look like to us. Almost like uh, looking at the lunar eclipse or solar eclipse, rather. Sure, sure. Yep. The corona. Exactly. Hmm. Okay. Because so, I think I, I've seen the, the artist renderings, of course. I mean, um, black holes are interesting, so I've looked a time or two. Um, right. No, they're fascinating. Yeah. And it does look, I mean, it looks crazy. So, but those, all those renderings then are just, are they influenced by science or are people just oh, making it up completely? Absolutely influenced by science, but black holes particularly uh we know so little about that there's a lot of uh interpretation Mm -hmm. 
So what a black hole is, I suppose, is worth quickly touching on. Definitely. Basically, I mean, I'm, I'm a layman. I'm no expert in any of this, so don't do it as part of my job or anything. So bear Black with hole me. researcher, PhD right, right. in black hole theory. Right. So basically what these are is, is a, a, gravitate, a gravity well. Imagine a, a cone, and at the bottom of the cone, the sort of uh, an inverted cone, at the mm-hmm. bottom of the cone, sort of the, the bottom of the pit, if you will, is this super crazy dense, what they call a singularity. It's really difficult to, for any human brain because we don't sort of really understand. It's this infinitely dense area. It's impossible for us to measure because it's on the other side of the event horizon that I was talking about. So we can't mm-hmm. see it. But basically what is theorized is on the, is at the center of the black hole is this infinitely dense piece of matter that is so dense, the gravity there, and therefore the gravity is so strong that it literally pulls light particles into it. So light cannot escape a black hole, hence why it's black. Right, it's, al- right. it's, it's almost as black as the cover of the Black Album from <laughs> This Is Spinal Tap, which, of course, the answer to you know, the question in that movie, how much more black could this be? None. None, none more black. <laughs> none more black. Great reference. Great reference. So light, <sighs> if you imagine It's so this, hard to wrap your puny mind around, though. It's crazy, right? Imagine a drain in a shower and yeah. water circling around the drain. You don't now want to imagine, know what's in that drain. No, you don't. But <laughs> <laughs> So if you've got that picture, imagine a light particle, however far away from the drain you want, you care to... Imagine this light particle shooting by. The, the gravitational strength of the black hole is so strong right. that literally the light particle, which normally would be headed in whatever direction it was originally heading is now had its direction light literally light has mm-hmm. had its direction changed and is being sucked into the black hole it's crazy that is crazy um i mean my my natural line of thinking makes me question where said light is going and i guess that's the one of the biggest questions is what's on the other side but it's a huge it question. can't disappear right that's one of our laws it's not gone it's going somewhere Right. Unless right. we and find it, out that that's not true. It should be well, fucking mind-blowing. Excellent segue. So why the hell are they doing this? Beyond the fact that we're curious, right? Mm. What are the actual sort of questions that um, we're looking to answer? This is also getting more science-y than I I'm ready. Ten- intended. I hope we're not scaring off anybody. Um, <laughs> this stuff to nah. me is just... its it's so difficult, as you already said, it's so difficult to grasp that it makes mm-hmm. it unbelievably fascinating. Um, so, I think ahead. it's worth noting just that every episode is not going to be for every person. I think that's, well, yeah. that's acceptable, right? That's the nature of, of picking whatever topics we fancy. That's right. So, yeah, that's what a black hole is. It's this infinitely dense and probably super, ultimately super small, even though its its area of effect is very large. Mm-hmm. It's this very small, dense piece of matter, not unlike the start of the of the universe, if you subscribe to the Big Bang theory. But that's for another another day. Mm. So why are we doing this? Um, 
this goes back to, um, we, we won't cover too much, but there's two major theories right now as to what gravity is and why it works and, and all this stuff and sort of the natural world. You have Einstein's theory of general relativity, and then you have mm -hmm. quantum physics. Both theories, you can go out into the real world and you can do a test that will quote, of course, uh, in science, there's no such thing really as proving something, but you can go out into the real world and you can perform a test that sort of proves that at least part of each theory is correct. You can say general relativity, Einstein, his theory predicts this event. And when I do these certain things, sure enough, there's the event. You can also mm -hmm. do the same for quantum, mechan uh, quantum mechanics, quantum physics. You can go out in the real world, do a test and say this one principle of quantum mechanics, there it is right in front of me. The do you problem, have examples of these tests? I don't. So that was I. I was looking for it, but it, I deemed it too, too deep. Too deep. <laughs> okay. Um, Go on. But so the the fascinating thing though is that ultimately these two theories, what their ultimate conclusions are mm -hmm. as far as how gravity works and how particles and all that shit works, are fundamentally incompatible. If Einstein can't be right. Einstein and quantum physics, as we currently understand things, cannot mm -hmm. both be right. Which How is fascinating. It's fascinating. It's crazy. So, viewing this black hole and specifically the event horizon and specifically the shape of the event horizon is not a definitive answer, but a major clue as to who is right. Einstein's. Einstein's theory of general relativity mm -hmm. pre predicts that the black hole and the event horizon around the black hole will be perfectly circular, basically how you might imagine it naturally. Okay. Quantum mechanics and their explanation of gravity quantum says physics. quantum physics. I think uh, I use those interchangeably, but so they probably uh, kind of mean yeah, the same thing. They kind of do, but I bet somebody smarter than us. Hopefully, we'll listen to this and get mad. Get mad. <laughs> Let us know how mad you are. Yeah. Um, so, uh, quantum physics allows for the possibility of circular, which is why that part of the reason this isn't going to be a definitive answer. But if it turns out that the event horizon is squashed on any axis, mm -hmm. if it's more, if it's more oblong, yeah, that is a really strong case for busting general relativity. Really? Basically, basically general relativity stands to lose the most in this because if it's circular, you don't know. Could be both. Could be both. Right. So, but if it's, hmm. if it's squashed, oh boy. Now, what is the reasoning for that? Did you, did you dig into that at all? Like, I guess that's kind of getting into the theory of each. Yeah, I mean, it lightly, I can speak. I can speak to relativity and why it says it's circular. Quantum mechanics, I, I wouldn't even begin to, to try. <laughs> to well, go. let's let's hear the so general relativity. relativity one. The math basically says uh, the way the way this is commonly visualized, maybe in your science class or whatever. Imagine you've got a sheet stretched and connected at four points. Mm -hmm. So you've got this sheet stretched flat. And at each corner, it, it basically makes a square. Yep. 
if you drop a dense marble into the middle of that, mm-hmm. you effectively create what gravity does as far as general relativity is concerned. And you are yeah. showing what a black hole might look like. So the, the marble weighs down wherever it's sitting on that sheet mm-hmm. and creates a uniform circular uh, cone shape, I, I guess, towards where the marble is, right? Falling towards the marble. So basically... Is that as, not too general, though? Because that's, I mean, it's 3D, but it's starting out as a 2D plane that you're... Well, what I'm getting dropping at here, this weight onto. So yeah, go ahead, go yeah, ahead. Well, but what it what it communicates is that that is effectively the math. And again, we're we're glazing over hundreds of years and some very smart people. So <laughs> <laughs> we didn't figure it out. We're just repeating it. Right. Um, but basically, the the shape that the the marble creates, the shape mm-hmm. in the sheet that the marble mm-hmm. creates, it couldn't be anything but perfectly circular, right? Right. Right. That is gravity, as far assuming as the points are correct anchored on the same plane. Right, right. Yes, if you had one anchor higher than the other, like if one, that would post, be a different shape. Yes, but assuming all things equal, when mm-hmm. you drop that marble onto the sheet, it creates a perfectly conical shape, mm-hmm. falling towards the center. If you were to, if you were to take cross sections of it in the exactly. same plane, they're circles. Right. Exactly. So. That's general relativity. The math and sort of the way it describes everything really only allows, unless there's some external force, uh, really only allows for circular gravity, gravity and circular right. wave, well, circular mm-hmm. waves, really. So quantum mechanics and quantum physics allow, uh, theoretically, is, that's not necessarily true. The way one of the major things about quantum physics and is that particles appear to be connected to each other across planes of existence that we don't even conceive of. So we we are aware of three planes of existence, right? We live in a 3D world. Mm-hmm. Quantum physics says there's up to like 12. Yeah, something like that. Something crazy like that. And somehow these, every particle, like the particle that makes up, the particles that make up my computer mouse that I'm holding right now, are somehow connected across these many different planes to other particles and potentially other dimensions. It gets it gets super crazy. But, yeah, what's that? What's that test? Um, maybe it's not a test, but they're able to see but not explain. Um, I believe electrons jumping, not from the du- their the double slit experiment. Is um, that what you're referring to? Yeah, I think so. Basically, you know, they start in one place, end up in another place, but you don't see. Or understand how basically they're they're making that transfer. Um, I think uh, I'm, I'm if actually, I'm re- if I'm remembering correctly, I'll write that one down for a future. Um, but I believe you're talking about the double slit experiment and the sort of conclusion. At least I think um, is that, and one of the principles of quantum mechanics is that everything exists in a cloud of unknown. And you don't know what the outcome of any particular moment in time is Mm -hmm. until you observe it. So the double slit experiment basically shows that electrons, you you don't really know their state until you go observe their state, which sounds obvious, but the deeper... Yeah, it's the the act of looking at them changes their state. So really what you're, what they're, it's like... uh... 
yeah, they're doing something else when you're not looking at it. They're partying when you're not looking, and then they act like we think they act when you're looking just because of the act of observing. Right. Yeah. It harkens back to that thing uh, a little bit of um, light can act sometimes as a particle and sometimes as a wave. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Part of that Fucking is light. wrapped up in quantum physics. Um, actually, going back to, to light for a second, um, when you were talking about the light being uh, pulled into the black hole from gravity, um, I started thinking about other things that could possibly be pulling light. Um, the only thing that I could think of was um, like refraction from a glass or from water bending mm-hmm. light. Totally different mechanics going on there causing the light to shift. But yep. um, I was wondering if there's any other uh, well, well, the mechanisms that can change the way light is traveling. Um, similar to, I mean, it's the same principle, just in a lesser capacity, uh, but, oh, and I'm, I can't remember the gentleman's name, which is terrible, but there was a famous, um, experiment done where the scientists predicted the outcome, but it was when they proved that gravity can bend light. And basically what they were able to see was, um, they were basically able to view. So if you imagine earth and then you're looking at the sun from earth, there's mm-hmm. stuff behind the sun, right? As far as uh, the relation of us to the Should sun, yeah. then there's there's stuff behind the sun. Mm-hmm. So through a number of different like timing of the year, you know. Oh, oh, the, I know. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. They basically proved that light bends via gravity initially yeah. because they were able to see a star on the <laughs> edge of the sun yeah. that was technically at that moment in time physically behind the sun and and physically not viewable but the because of the 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 gravity of our sun the light from that distant star was getting bent around the sun such that to us it looked like the star was hovering just on the edge of the sun when in reality its actual physical position was directly behind the sun and had the theory not been the case we wouldn't have been able to see the star Oh man, I can't remember the name of uh, the concept because there's even um, there's a type of camera you can use to capture the same thing. Um, but I do know exactly what you're talking about. I just can't pull the the word out of my brain. Something um, lithography, maybe. Let's try to do some quick. Yeah. Um, Googling. There's a, I think it's like named after, um, uh, you know, the person who figured it out or whatever, but I can't remember. So yeah, 2018, they're going to try to take a picture of a, uh, black hole that's at the center of our solar system, which actually... Uh, that's another topic, but uh, as I was reading this, they think that black holes um, are pretty much at the center of every galaxy, and the gravity, really? the gravity of the gravity of a black hole is what keeps a galaxy together. So something really? tw- something twenty six thousand light years away, which a light year, if you don't know, is yet another absurd concept. <laughs> The it's almost of time, not big enough. 
it's almost not big enough, which is also absurd. Um, it's the amount of time in seconds, or in this case, a year, as far as we're concerned, that a single particle of light travels. So the sun emits a single particle of light, how far, which is also obviously traveling at the speed of light, how far in terms of distance, miles, if you will, mm-hmm. kilometers, uh, how far that... Tr- particle of light travels in a vacuum in a dis uh in one calendar year that is a light year it's crazy far (laughs) so to put that in so basically to put that in perspective it would take a single particle of light from our sun it would take it twenty six thousand human years to go from the sun to the center of our galaxy twenty six thousand years that's crazy and that's actually just not even something you can or at least me personally can accurately think about. No, and, I just know uh, it's a lot. <laughs> a, sl- a slight tangent, uh, basically, as if you if you take that uh, and you apply it to sort of space travel, mm-hmm. uh, there's no human. There's no way to travel in space any significant distance with current human lifespans. There's there's no way you could. Okay, because to travel a light year, the distance of a light year, you have to be going the speed of light, which we're not even remotely close to. Well, you can go the distance light travels in a year at a slower speed, but it's going to take longer than that time. Right. So (laughs) so what I'm saying is is if you've got to go even one light year away from Earth... Yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. It's going to take you 30 human years. Mm -hmm. So practically speaking... That's still Unless, super fast. Yeah, yeah. 30 years <laughs> would be like crazy fast. So what that means, practically speaking, is unless unless like wormhole travel or some kind of like Stargate Atlantis shit turns mm-hmm. out to be real, <laughs> there's no there's no travel in the stars. It's for humans. It's not possible. Unless we Just, freeze ourselves, right? Unless, unless we freeze ourselves. Yeah, but that's also sad. Um, so I was just looking. Um, so that makes me question um, if if that is true that these are, um, you know, at the center of every galaxy and important and fundamental in keeping it together. How stable is that? And could we all of a sudden find our shit fucked up because our black hole decided to let go? Uh, if I understand things correctly, we're more at risk of getting sucked into it. <laughs> <laughs> One way to figure out potentially what's on the other side. I don't think we'd survive, though. Um, another, uh, and even more relevant to our name choice, um, another thing I want to quick bring up before we change over. Um, in 2017, late 2017, uh, I didn't actually realize this, but they were alerted to it by detecting those gravitational waves I, I referenced earlier, which were a brand new discovery in 2015. Although Einstein had predicted that they would be there, nobody had been able to measure them until 2015. Um, they were able to witness for the first time in real time uh, the collision of two stars that were rotating around a Berry Center and finally, <laughs> and finally collided. They were able to witness, via, of course, via telescopes and 
ultimately images you see are nothing like what you imagine, right? You imagine these two bodies rotating around each other and they slam into each other and it's big it's, and it's magnificent. It's like, and I'm sure yeah. if you were up close and personal, it would look that way. But these things are so, so far away that they're literally tiny dots on our telescopes. But the reason I, I want to quick bring this up um, so they were able to witness these two stars collide with each other, which is one of the theories as to how black holes get formed. Um, when these two stars collided, and they were able to measure this, um, when they collide and they mix and all this stuff, uh, one thing we are able to finally confirm, although we really realized it, or maybe not confirm, but really solidified, is that stars colliding is how a lot of elements actually come into existence. So when these two stars collided, if you imagine the mass of the Earth, multiply that by 200, so 200 Earths, basically, mm -hmm. that amount of pure gold, the element gold, was generated when these two stars collided. Whoa. Literally just 200 Earths worth of, of mass. Just That of is gold pretty magnificent. Sent into the space, you know, into the <laughs> cosmos. Somebody get out there with like a baseball mitten try catch to catch some, some of that shit <laughs> five 500 earth masses of platinum was Whoa. generated so not just did you have the gold right yeah. that wasn't enough you got platinum you're gonna have you're gonna have almost every element that's the stars colliding is probably worth its own uh discussion yeah um they think <laughs> They think that these pairs of neutron stars spent roughly 11 billion years um, circling each other. <laughs> 11 just imagine years. these stars kind of like having personalities and they're like, you know, every time they go around, they're like, eh, is it this time? Is it this time? No. All right. See you again in a couple of years. Here's and then another. when they finally slam into each other, it's magnificent. I hope it is. It better. It sounds magnificent. <laughs> sounds like there's a big ass party, right? Platinum, yeah, right? gold, you name it. Well, that much of that stuff renders what we give it value just totally worthless. Yep, sure does. So those stars were circling each other for potentially 11 billion years. They actually collided. So this goes back to what a light year is. They actually collided in terms of real time mm -hmm. 130 million years ago. Whoa. It took 130 million years for the light that is the collision of the two stars. The stars collide and they explode and they create all this light. It took those light particles 130 million years to get to Dude. Earth. And here's even more of a crazy. That's so we much only, time. We only built the instruments to detect what eventually. <laughs> we only built the instruments to detect the gravitational waves that told uh, scientists where to point their telescopes, otherwise we would have missed it. We only invented that stuff as a result of the discovery in 2015. Three, three years, three years we, we came to missing this event, which was 11 billion years in the Oh, well, we're just expert procrastinators. <laughs> That's what that is. Really the good at it. The scale of all this stuff, of space. You know what's amazing? Is I know it's a lot of light, but that's a lot of distance too. And you know, space is so vast; nothing got in the way for 130 million years. Yep. Like we still receive the light. Yep. I know. Again, there's a lot of it, but 
somebody sent an email and it was actively on its way for 130 years and the network <laughs> never went down or whatever. Nobody intercepted the message. Craziness. It's, it's so absurd. And the fact um, that, like I said, that we, we caught it, like we had the technology, it's just all of it lining up is just amazing. So before we, uh, we jump over here, I was totally wrong on the, or what I was thinking of when we were talking about um, measuring the particles and um, viewing electrons and all that. I was thinking of something called Schlieren, uh, what is it? Schlieren flow visualization is what it's called. And basically this is a, um, a really cool way to visualize sound waves actually. So you set up this series of equipment and it allows you to capture visually uh, sound waves, which is just pretty wild. But that's a whole other topic. Um, but I just wanted to get that out there because that's what I was trying to think of. It, so, require, it would require its own discussion. Yeah. Okay. So my topic so, is not related. That's okay. It, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I felt like this one was uh, particularly relevant given yeah no i mean when do they plan on or is it just going to take place throughout the year capturing I, these i actually couldn't i don't think there's a, a specific maybe they don't one, they don't know one, for sure right i think it's it's just a, an effort um because obviously each telescope isn't going to be able to point in the right direction at the right time or at the same time i should say right um, cause you know, we're rotating and there's shit in the way and all that. Mm-hmm. I think like certain weather conditions, I, even though technically what they're photographing are, are radio waves and, uh, which aren't, but there can be certain things going on in the atmosphere that ruin a particular night. You know, you might have all yeah. things good, but then you've got like some electrical storm going on and then you got to wait. Plus if you're, if you're stitching together all these different images, you want them to be as consistent in quality and, and right. whatever, right. I'm sure. I don't know for sure, but you would think that yeah, that seems like a that's standard. my best guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so my topic is about um, water sanitation. So this topic turned out to be way more in depth than I was ready for, to be honest with you. Um, so it took me some time, but. Um, where it all started is I was at a friend's house and they just moved into this house. Um, super nice. And he's a smart guy and he has this, uh, well, I eventually found out this crazy water filtration, you know, in-house treatment. Um, so at one point we're hanging out, whatever, I get a glass of water and I'm taking a sip and he's looking at me and he's like, all right, how's that taste? I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, how's the water taste? good it's it's fresh i guess um so then he starts explaining you know the the nature of his system and then he said something that got me thinking he said um people underestimate the importance of clean water you cook with it you brush your teeth with it you're showering in it you know all this stuff and it just made me question um water quality in general i guess you kind of it's one of those things you take for granted and just assume that the water coming out of your faucet's probably clean. I would say most people probably don't think too much about it. Um, 
So where I, actually that was uh, while I was away. So I came home and it was really cold. Um, and I noticed that some of the, when the water was coming out of the faucet, it was really cloudy. So with this fresh on my mind and I'm looking at the cloudy water, I started to investigate. Um, so that's where I started. And what I learned is that if you have cloudy water coming out of your, uh, your faucet, there's three things that can be causing this in general. Um, one is the cold temperature can cause air to get like trapped into the water which I'm just going to assume that that's... Yeah, water, cold water. I know this from uh, my, my fish uh, interest, aquarium interest. Cold water holds uh, much more oxygen. The colder the water, the more oxygen can, uh, okay. can exist in the water. Right. So somehow the water gets in there that's not normally in there. Or, you know, basically what the cloudiness is is very, air very bubbles. tiny air bubbles. So yeah. maybe the water is normally there. It's just not presented in that way. Um, so, you know, you, you get the water out of the tap and you just let it sit there and it eventually clears up. Um, so that's nothing harmful. No, nothing harmful. So that's reason number one. Reason two could just be natural sediments getting to the water, also causing air bubbles and stuff like that. Generally nothing to worry about. Um, the third one is Uh more serious if this is the issue, but less likely for sure. Uh, methane in your water. So. If you're getting, if you're, and I did this test, if you're having bubbly or cloudy water coming out of your faucet, um, maybe take it outside and put a lighter to it and see if it catches on fire. Because <laughs> it's odorless. That's the thing. Is you think like, oh, methane's in my tap. Um, I'd smell it. Not necessarily. The reason you can smell methane in, or reasons people might think that you can smell methane. Uh, the power companies or whoever's actually delivering that methane, if that's what you're using as fuel or propane. In they this purposely case, make it. They purposely make smelly. it smell so yeah. that you so that you know you have a leak. But you're right. right. Natural methane is odorless. Right. So I don't think there's any harm to ingesting methane necessarily. Um, in, in normal or not normal, but, you know, in, in reasonable amounts. Yeah, but I think the problem could be, let's say you have a lot of methane in your water and you put some in a pot and then you instantly go to your gas stove and light that shit and problems. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so from there, um, I decided that my water is probably okay, but I wanted to take it a step further. Um and just start researching about, you know, the water that my town's actually providing. Um, but bef- before we go in there, I did find some, some facts that you might find interesting if we're throwing some facts around. Absolutely. Um, so I checked a, a number of sources on this one, but anywhere from in the U.S., which is one of the leading consumers of water, go figure, U.S. and Canada, actually, in Australia, oddly. Actually, that's not that odd. No, they're uh, they're in quite a hostile land. Yeah. Okay, so U.S., Canada, Australia. Um, but this number is for U.S. only. 70 to 100 gallons per person a day is the average. Right. In what context? Like the total water that I total, ultimately use? Total water that you're ultimately using, whether it's 
from as small as brushing your teeth to showering to using the dishwasher to washing your hands, using the uh, you know laundry machine, all that stuff. Um, per day? That's that. I've checked three sources because I couldn't believe that number, and it varies by state. Um, New York was pretty high. Colorado was kind of in the middle. Um, there were some that were lower, some that were high. You know, it was kind of all over the place. But and hit um, me with that number again. Sorry, seventy to a hundred gallons per wow. person per day. Um, that's all gonna... things considered. So, um. Yeah, I mean, I think like even just taking a shower uses quite a bit of water. Even if it's it a does. ten minute shower, it's like gallons and gallons. <laughs> yeah, that could yeah. be you know twenty five percent of your usage right there. I kind of want to record how long my shower takes tomorrow, and then somehow try to measure the flow rate of my faucet. I'm curious to know. Uh, you could probably very easily measure the flow rate. Just get a. Oh, container yeah. of known volume and time how long it takes to fill to Perfect. a certain line that you know Perfect. is the volume. Done. Okay. Yeah, that would be interesting to, to come back on. Um, yeah, I'm going to write that down. That's actually super interesting. So the U.S., I believe this number is uh, U.S. Should have wrote that, but I think it is. 410 billion gallons a day <sighs> nationwide. Just us. Just us. Yeah. The little, so, not, that's, so that's excluding Canada and Australia. Yeah, yeah, oh, and no. everybody else. I mean, I think that's... <laughs> India, Europe. But that got me thinking. You always hear people talking about conserving water, right? Mm-hmm. But let me ask you, do you think that water is a renewable resource or a non-renewable resource? What's your thought on that? I mean... It is, and I would I would say it is from a purely natural uh, basis of logic, in the sense that it. Well, oh man, it's a little bit uh, of a hard question, isn't it? It is kind of a hard because I was going to say, you know, it comes out as pee or whatever, <laughs> and then and then how it how it gets back to fresh water is evaporation. So whatever the water yeah, is in. Yeah, Whatever that's, the water's uh, in, yeah. I mean, you're getting there. So basically, um, the, the, there's the water cycle, right? Something we learned about in third you know grade. third grade science class, the water cycle. The problem is, is we're using water, fresh water, at a rate that's faster than the water cycle can yep. cycle through, you know, dirty water and provide us with more fresh water. So, um if there's no consciousness to conserve fresh water, then, you know, you could potentially end up with just straight dirty water everywhere, you know, to put it simply, I guess. But, but that's where, so it is, there's, it's not that the water is going away. There's a finite amount of it, but it's not going anywhere necessarily, but it's possible that we can ruin all of it. I was just going to say we're, so we're not reducing the total quantity, but we're ruining Larger and larger portions of it. Exactly. Exactly. Got it. Got it. Um, okay. Yeah. So let's see here. Um, so my town puts out an annual water report, and I would I couldn't figure out if this is a requirement federally or not that they have to put it out. Something tells me no, 
Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but my town does, or at least has been for the last couple of years. Um, so basically, the town has to, there are state and federal standards that they're, they're living up to. The EPA provides standards, and the state either comes up with their own that are basically better than that or at least equivalent to. And, um, you know, so they can provide more regulation or less, I believe, but um, you're at least meeting these EPA standards, which, interestingly, did not come about until 1948. So just think about that. Until 1948, water was not regulated. Have at it. Um, Yeah, so there were towns and states doing their own thing here and there up until that point, but really until the federal government stepped in, I think it was, you know, more than half the states were just kind of like, here's your water, maybe. <laughs> it might be contaminated, not sure. <laughs> um, Put a layer to it. Yeah. <laughs> Can I at least find out if it's got methane. Yeah, so, okay, so what my town is doing with these reports is they're testing it at the source, which means they're testing it at the treatment plant. Um, so what that means is they're giving this report, and hopefully it's good. That's all fine and dandy, but that means there's room for contamination between said source and your tap, right? So you could still have, you could have the best water coming out of your town, but your pipes in your house are shit made of mercury and lead (laughs) um and arsenic yeah yeah yep so if you are concerned about your water quality definitely don't just rely on um you know those water reports if they are available so my state uh rates the sources of the water like um rivers reservoirs and things like that they rate it from one to seven on susceptibility of potential contamination. And in this report, they list out the sources that I'm getting my water from. And there were two big ones in there. One of them was, and they didn't give the specific number from one to seven, which is suspect. Yeah, they didn't give the number. They said the first source was ranked low on susceptibility for potential contamination. So that could be anywhere from maybe one to three. Okay. Um, and then the other one is ranked very high on susceptibility <laughs> of potential contamination. I would say that must be a six or a seven, right? You would yeah, think? very high is six or seven. Yeah. Why does like they didn't just say it's high. It's they added another another word there. It was very high, or you know, something like that. Uh, why one to seven? I have no idea. No idea where that comes from. Um. But actually, on that note, as I was looking up these EPA standards and all these numbers, um, it's like, okay, good. These are these are the numbers, and EPA says that this compound or this mineral should be less than this in the water, and it's checking out. But where is that number coming from? Who's deciding that hmm, four course. parts per billion of lead is acceptable in my water? Where is that? Um, and the EPA doesn't give sources. So the only thing that I was able to find digging through many, many links on the EPA site is that they just make a statement that they use the latest 
technology and knowledge in science is basically what they say. Oh, boy. <laughs> so. So it's just like, <laughs> yeah, we think, we think this is the right threshold, but. Yeah, which. I mean, it's better than no threshold. For sure. Definitely. But I just, I would have, I was hoping to find more information on, you know, who, where, how, why they're doing these tests and how they're coming up with the numbers. Yeah. Like, are they just sort of inferring what is uh, dangerous or not? Or are they being a little more sinister and like, okay, we've got these 10 rats and we gave them each progressive levels of contaminated water. (laughs) Rat number six was the one that died first. Well, what I started thinking was maybe they just use um, public health records and say, okay, we here's a database of people who okay. who died because they had excess lead levels or whatever. Let's just use lead as an example. And then backtrack and say, okay, this is, here are this some other people report. that have some lead in their blood, but they seem okay. They're at this level. Um, that level must be better than this one, that type of thing. And so just the more people dying from lead or not dying from lead, the better. <laughs> just the more data, I guess. I wish this was my joke. It's actually Jerry Seinfeld's, but he says in one of his bits, he's like, find out what'll kill me and then back it off. Just <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of what this feels like. Um, yeah, so that was, that was a little shocking. Um, and it's not to say it's not out there. Totally, but it's difficult to find if it is. So, yeah, making it even more suspect. Well, and um, right now, especially the EPA doesn't uh, doesn't have anybody working there. So, no, it's just empty buildings. Pretty much. Um, but going back to the scale on one to seven susceptibility potential contamination. <laughs> okay, my problem with that, other than the fact that I wasn't given the number or. I would yeah, like to know where the come scale. Up with a scale, if you're not going to fucking use it, <laughs> they're just going to give me. Here's a specific number that we're going to rate this on, but then we're going to just give you some vague terms. Um, you okay? Sorry, sorry to interject again. Yeah, go go. You, you know that's because the numbers are higher than they're hoping. Yes, it must be. It has to be. If it was a zero, if it was a one, you're, yeah, you're damn right they're touting. You're damn right they're telling you it's a one. Totally. Why wouldn't they? Um, so my other problem with this is potential contamination. I feel like, well, I feel like using the word contamination is like using the word drugs. You can't put pot and meth in the same category. Oh, okay. And I I think it, yeah. And it's hard to put like naturally occurring minerals in the same category as radioactive material. Right. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going right? to be way more concerned if there's like cesium-235 or whatever that radioactive <laughs> material is. You know, if that's in my water versus... Like some sodium. Some sodium. <laughs> Boy, this is salty. Oh, no. <laughs> um, yeah, so while they're providing all this information, it's also very frustrating in how vague it is. It's flawed sort of from the ground up in a way. Yeah. So, but as you go through the report, um, they do give you the numbers and, and, you know, the certain things that they're testing for, what the allowed limit is, 
what their test limit or what their test values were. Um, so that's good. They are giving you those values. And so what I did is I looked at, um, for my town again, 2014 versus 2016. So a two-year um, jump in time. I wanted to see if there was any difference in these numbers. Um, so I just pulled out the, the values for a few of these compounds that had big change. So the first one is fluoride okay. in the water in 2014. Which is added, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it may be. Yeah, I think you might be right on that. Um, so the, yeah, this one is just kind of a standalone thing. But fluoride, the limit is four parts per million. In 2014, it was 0.61, which is under by you know fair amount. And then in 2016, it's 0.5. So we've gone down 0.11 parts per million in fluoride for whatever that's worth. But this is where it gets really interesting. Um, okay, so this one is called triholomethane, triholomethane maybe. Okay. And I don't know specifically what that is, but the limit is 80 parts per billion. In 2014, it was so wait, 30. Sorry, that's, that's much smaller. That's an order of magnitude smaller than a parts per million, right? Uh, math, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, 36 so to 37. Parts per billion is what it was recorded at in 2014. Okay. So fairly, you know, plenty under this limit. But again, where who's deciding the limit? Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Could easily be way above the actual real totally. danger. Yeah. We're yep. just, apparently that's just the best we have. Yep. 2016, it went up to 43 to 47. So and, almost double. Um. Well, not almost. Double, no, but. like 10%. Or no, um, maybe like 20% increase. 37 to what? Sorry? 36 to 37 to 43 to 47. Oh, okay. They, Sorry, it's was... a range. It's a range. Yeah. yeah. So this is, they tell you this, um, it's a byproduct of chlorination in the water. Mm -hmm. So this next one, hollow acidic, acidic, hollow acidic, not quite right, I don't think. Yeah, something, some sort of hollow acetic acids. The limit is 60 parts per billion. 2014, it was 13 to 17. In 2016, it went to 21 to 40. So huge range, but an increase overall. This is a byproduct of disinfection. So also residual chlorine in the water is up. I didn't write the number down, but that's up. So these three things together tell me that from 2014 to 2016, my town decided that they needed to start treating the water more because there was more stuff in it, right? So now you have these byproducts of chlorination, disinfection, and residual chlorine. Yeah, clearly. Pretty interesting, huh? Kinda They're all scary. below the whatever limit, but clearly they made the decision so to start <laughs> disinfecting more. <laughs> so would you say that the probability for contamination has maybe gone from a two to a this happened? Well, this <laughs> this particular source, they said that, actually, I still have it open. I believe they rated it the same, um, the same ambiguous terms in both 2014 and 2016. I don't think that changed. So I yeah. Want to so, ask, do you want here? I'm just. I'm going to read you the 
the sentence real quick. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. All right. The susceptibility rating is on a seven-tiered scale from very low to very high based primarily on geologic sensitivity, water chemistry, and contaminant sources. So the susceptibility of, of this particular source of water intakes were determined to be highly susceptible to potential contamination. However, all four water treatment plants that use source from this uh, or use water from this source have historically provided satisfactory treatment of this source water to meet drinking water standards. Yeah. You know, it's really crazy about like what can contaminate the water. One thing that is really, really messing things up right now um, is like fertilizer runoff. Oh yeah, they mentioned that in here actually. Uh, yeah, yeah, I bet. Mm-hmm. So I want to ask about your friend's contamination system, but I also want to say uh, another thing that I picked up from my aquarium hobby. Mm-hmm. And once you get deep enough and you start trying to grow plants and you start trying to do more difficult fish and whatnot, you need to go find really, really good water, clean water. Mm-hmm. One of the way, because basically they're like, you know, well, we add chlorine to our water and chlorine is about the worst thing you can short, just short of ammonia. Chlorine is not helpful for fish. Right. So what they what they tell you to do if you can't go buy like reverse osmosis water, which is what I was using, um, they tell you to to leave your to take your water from your tap or wherever you're getting it from, mm-hmm. pour it into your Home Depot five gallon bucket, and let it sit at least a day. Okay. S- somewhat you can cover it a little bit, but you need to allow air in there. And what you're doing is uh, you're allowing the chlorine gas and probably a few other things to leave the water. Oh, really? So how effective is that? Well, so me 2010, whatever doing this thing, I'm like, well, fuck, if I'm doing all this work for the fish, I should probably do I should probably do the same for myself. Yeah. Yeah. So what I do is I have a Brita filter that is, well, it's really just the, the, the can, uh, not the canister, the, pitcher mm-hmm. pitcher that the, i don't actually have the filter or anything in it so and it's just, i, it's, a I take, it's just the container yeah <laughs> <laughs> trying to get britta to sponsor us um, <laughs> come on Britta. so what i do is uh i have a running or i just i fill it with tap water and i let it sit for however long you know there's no specific amount of time in the sense that i'm like timing it or anything but Basically, I've got two containers, and I'm drinking from one and letting the other one sit, hmm. and there is a noticeable difference in taste of the water straight out of the tap versus really? water water that has sat for a day or two. Hmm. There's a noticeable difference in taste. So we um, we have a filter here that we, you know, it's just sitting on the counter, put it in the fridge, whatever, um, a Brita container with a filter so the whole setup um so that water ends up sitting you know probably a day before you drink it it's not necessarily as exposed to the air because it has a lid on it it should relatively still still function yeah the way that i'm describing um but yeah i don't really drink out of the tap so i don't i'd have to compare but i mean you even even just filtered water anybody anybody that's run water through a filter Mm -hmm. um you can I, I can taste the difference at least between yeah. the two. 
Uh, yeah, I would, I would encourage everybody to um, check out to see if your town um, gives you that information because it was it was super interesting. And that's kind of where I stopped just because I could have gone on forever. Sure. You know, when you, for example, when you get to uh, a Wikipedia page that's like 15 scrolls long because, you know, and it's just, you know, you're in for it when yep. you get to, yep. <laughs> you know, you're, do you you're, ever, do you ever look something up and you kind of wish the Wikipedia page had more? All the I time. Looked up, I looked up a fish today that I was curious about and, um, just was woefully undersatisfied. <laughs> yeah, this is a situation where I was overwhelmed. Sup- overwhelmed, so I made it a certain distance into my. Yeah, water. Water is one of those things you you touched on it at the top of your topic. Uh, it can easily go under recognized or whatever, but just like air, you know, you literally need water and air. You need them. Mm-hmm. And you probably consume far more of those two things than anything else. Your body is, I think, what do they say, 70% water or something like that? Yeah, that's what they say. I mean, yeah, if you're putting shitty water into your body, yeah, man. I mean, it you're... cannot be good. It just cannot be good. And it's not just drinking. I mean, when you're showering or, or whatever, it's getting absorbed into your skin. Sure, those people in so... Flint, Michigan couldn't even take showers after a yeah, while. Yeah, yeah. It would... They would get into, for those that don't know, Flint, Michigan had a big problem uh, with uh, lead in their water after mm-hmm. they changed water sources. Yeah, Probably. they changed the water source, which caused the home, these old homes that had lead pipes, they had like a natural kind of barrier built up over 50, over 60, time. whatever years. And I guess the new water source had something in it that kind of broke that down and caused this lead to now leach out. And people would take showers and basically get like burns from the water yeah it's horrible yeah it's awful yeah and still going on by the way (laughs) we don't uh we we won't try to get political on this podcast people people don't like to talk about it no they don't we'll try to stay somewhat neutral although uh, i guess i'll preface now that i'm sure there will be some episodes where our political views get exposed but for the most part, we'll try to stay away from, from that kind of stuff. But the fun yep. thing is, I mean, no matter who you are, what you think about politics or whatever. I say, it's just it's a, sad. It's a messed up situation. Yeah. So your friend's um, filter system. Yeah, I wish I could give you more detail. Um, yeah. I just know he has a multiple stage filter set up in his basement that he installed fresh into this house when they moved in. Um, so he you know, really, but as far as like, I mean, that's, that sounds, way he takes it seriously. Yeah, it's more yeah, than okay. a water softener and you know, more than a, a charcoal filter. filter. <laughs> <laughs> I think there are those aspects to it, but, and more. Yep. Um, I'd be willing to bet he's probably got a reverse osmosis system then. Probably reverse osmosis without going into what exactly it is. The, what it, allows you to do is it allows you to at a molecular level i hope i have this right basically you at a molecular level you're you're pulling out the pure h2o you're separating what is actually the water from everything else right so what do you end up with distilled water uh kind of yeah basically yeah yeah yep 
Yeah, so I can't give too much detail on that just because I, I don't know and I didn't ask too much. Um, but it just, his his quote there is what kind of got me thinking over the last week, basically, about this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's as far as I made it. There's plenty more to figure out as far as drinking water goes, though. That's just scratching the tiny water surface. Water itself, actually, is probably a topic... Uh, we'll come back to a few times here. Yeah, I think it's worth it. It's it's a major topic. There's all it's kinds huge. of stuff going on. Mm-hmm. One, um, uh, I guess the last thing I'll say on this, totally unrelated, in a certain or there's a there's a guy who uh, predicted the the 2008 financial crisis. Right, he he knew it was coming. He he set himself up to basically profit from the collapse, which is easily, or not easily doable, but it's, it's just as you can buy a sell, buy a stock and make money from buying a stock. You can, you can make money from betting on the fact that a stock will fall in value mm-hmm. anyway. So this guy, uh, bet and was, you know, proved or not proved, sorry, predicted and, and made money off of the 2008 financial crisis here in America and uh, then he got out of the financial industry for the most part. The only thing that he does now, he trades in water. So the reason I brought that up is here you have this guy who clearly is quite uh, clairvoyant, clearly has a good, good eye for um, trends and where things are going. Yeah. And it doesn't take a, a super smart person, but it's it's something easily glossed over. The fact that water is, you know, we're people are going to start killing each other over water eventually. And so this guy has set up and has basically said that the only only commodity, the only thing that he trades in now instead of stocks, instead of all this other stuff is water. And I just the reason I brought that up. What do you mean by trading in water? Like, well, there are um, utilities related to water or Uh, it, it runs the gamut. You can you could trade. So like. If you wanted to get really obvious, you could trade in like companies that make bottle that yeah, sell bottled yeah. water. Okay. Yeah. You could trade in companies that are coming in coming up with ways to make desalinization cheaper. Mm-hmm. Anything that is in the water industry. Right. Maybe right. maybe maybe there's a way to disinfect water without chlorine. That would be a, a big moneymaker. So you invest in that company if you think they're gonna be successful or whatever. Right, right. So he's still trading and buying and selling and all that, but his central his central concern, if you will, mm-hmm. is water. Right. And so if you have this guy who was able to has a track record of being right most of the time, uh, and all he's now concerned with is water, that's pretty ominous. Something to pay attention to. Something to pay attention to. Exactly. All right. Well, on that note, thank you what for do you listening. Say? Yeah. Yeah. I think this was a, this was a good episode. Thank you for listening to Wandering Berry Center. That's right. Our first named yeah. recording. Again, I'm Brian. That's Alex. Here I am. Um, we do have Twitter, YouTube, uh, SoundCloud. Just look for uh, Wandering Berry Center. Uh, this Twitter actually has no space, but it is, for mo- most purposes, it is a... Uh, a word, you know, wandering space, Barry Center. If you have any topics or anything, really, if you just want to communicate with us or whatever, um, wanderingberrycenter at gmail.com is the email address that will go to either of us. 
both of us. Uh, and yeah. Yeah, Thanks look forward to hearing from you. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.